This morning we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, the last half, verses 7 through 10. Give your attention now to God's word as I read. The light is pleasant, and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember that the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. When I was in um, Fuller Seminary out in Pasadena, California, um, taking intensive classes, so I was out there for three weeks at a time, eight-hour days, you know, in class, and as a result of, uh, of that, I typically ate in the seminary cafeteria or, or would do lunch with, with some other pastors. But in the seminary cafeteria, there was a guy at the end of the line that I've never been able to, to for, uh, uh, forget or fail to remember. Uh, you know how cafeteria food is, and you go down the line and you pick your meat and your vegetable and bread or whatever. You get to the end of the line, somebody who has been helping your plate delivers the plate to you. And that last guy, big guy, got to the end of the line, his big hands were under my plate, and every time he would deliver the plate like it was, it was an event. You know, he'd bring it up, and he'd hold it there before he'd give it to me, and then he would stick it out and say, enjoy, my friend. And I thought, well, that was pretty cool the first time. And then the second day, he did it again. And the third day, he did it again. And then the fourth day, enjoy, my friend. Who enjoys cafeteria food? I don't, I've never met anybody that had to eat cafeteria food four or five days in a row that said, hey, I, this is great food. You know, it's like going to college you got cafeteria food, and as parents show up for parents' weekend, it's like, man, this is great. But no kid ever says that. You eat it once, fine. Eat it every day for the rest of your life. It's like, uh-uh. And this man says, enjoy, my friend. And I began to realize the depth of wisdom that man had. He wasn't saying it is what it is. This is cafeteria food. I hope you have a good day. He was saying, this is an obligation. You can take it right now and choose to enjoy it. Or you'll be miserable like the rest of these folks. Enjoy, my friend. And the more I thought about that as a command rather than as a statement, the more it had an impact on me. And I think that's the impact that we find in Ecclesiastes 11. There's a command here to enjoy. Notice verse 8. Let him rejoice. That's a command. And again in verse 9, rejoice, young man. This is not a suggestion. It's not a statement. It is a command, enjoying life every day. You're commanded to enjoy the life God has given you. Now, we need to think about that for a minute and embrace that concept. Because I bet many of us were not trained by mom and dad that way. To really enjoy the day that God has given us. And yet God emphasizes it here several times. Make a choice. And the choice needs to be rejoice. 
This is your time. Rejoice in your years. Rejoice in your days. Rejoice whether you're young or whether you're old. Now, before I get into the text, I got to thinking, maybe we ought to deal with some of the pitfalls of rejoicing. In other words, our world has shifted our focus. We think joy comes through our possessions. Joy comes through people in our lives. Joy comes through accomplishing our plans. And as long as we have the right stuff, our possessions, as long as we have fellowship with people, as long as we can do the next thing and accomplish it, then we can be happy. But if we can't have any of those things, then we're not happy. Let's see those as a worldly focus. Let's see them as pitfalls to joy. Because I want you to see Ecclesiastes strongly, and that is you can have joy regardless of your possessions. You can have joy regardless of people in your life, and you can have joy regardless of whether or not you accomplish your plans. So we have to see these three categories as really pitfalls and not the source of our joy. Let's first of all consider the pitfall of possessions. Um, Look at Luke chapter 12, 13 through 15. What do we need? I'm going to try to stay away from the edge. I just noticed it. People told me last week, David, you're going to fall. Okay. I was thinking about pitfalls. I'll try to stay back, okay? Uh, I got I got the habit of doing that a while back, and somebody put a yellow caution tape up here for me. I might need that again. I'll, I'll try to stay back. But let's think about pitfalls. How what would make us fall? Sometimes we think falling in life is because we don't have the right possessions. Look at Luke chapter twelve, verses thirteen through fifteen. Luke twelve, thirteen through fifteen says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to him, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. There's Jesus' warning. Beware. Watch out telling this person who wanted his inheritance, you need to be warned here, brother. Oh, you think life consists in possessions. And if you could just get your possessions or an abundance of possessions early, then everything would be easy. You would have life. How many of us are right there? Like, you know, if I can just get a house and get it paid off and get a car and get it paid off and get a good job and get it secure. If I just had the possessions, then I would could sit back and I could be happy because I would have all, all I needed. That's the way we think. There are lots of people, matter of fact, they make the news, the people who have all the possessions and then commit suicide, those are the ones who make the news. If joy was really in possessions, why are they committing suicide? Why is their life miserable when they have so much stuff? We should easily be able to see that possessions are often a pitfall to joy. Jesus warns us, Possessions is not the source of joy. Sure, possessions are a vessel of joy in the sense that having certain things makes you happy, yes. But you need to see that's just a vessel. It's not the source of joy. You cannot have those things and still have joy. And we need to be aware of that fact. Second pitfall is people. If only I had a friend... If only I had someone who understood. If only I had someone who cared for me. If only I could give my life to someone besides myself, then I would be happy. That's the mindset that so many people have, that I need people to be happy. Uh, God has, again, designed lives to do together. 
People are vessels of joy. They are not the source. Let me give, give you one example. Psalm 41, verses 9 through 13. And this is kind of a backdoor example, but Psalm 41, 9, 9 through 13. Notice that the joy stays with this brother, Brother David here in Psalm 41, even after the people are gone. And that's the point. Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my close friend, notice how he starts with people, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you're pleased with me, because my enemy does not shout in triumph over me, as for me, you uphold me in my integrity, and you set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. David found comfort even when his close friend turned against him. His enemies, he's obviously got many, turned against him. And he says, I still have joy. I'm still in the presence of God. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting is with me, and he upholds me. I can have happiness. I can have joy. People are not the source of our joy. They can be vessels of joy, sure, but they're not the source. Pleasure can exist when all of the people are gone. You can be at home. You can be in the hospital bed, and no one else be around. And you can still have joy. You don't need the people. You don't need the possessions. And you don't need the accomplishments of plans. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6, just going back a, a, a while, you know, we, we looked at this passage. But let me remind you of it. Ecclesiastes 6 verses 1 and 2 says, There's an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it's prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them. For a foreigner enjoys them. And this is vanity and a severe affliction. Notice the illustration. The illustration is you could have it all. You could accomplish it all, and yet not be empowered to enjoy it all. And there are people who have had that. It's like, I thought there would be more joy now. You know, I thought that if I made a million dollars by the age of 30, I would be happy. And I've done it, and it just doesn't seem to be enough. Where's the joy in accomplishments? Getting everything I want, and yet, some reason, I'm not happy. And I'm not joyful. Uh, there's times when we need to see that joy does not come through our accomplishments. Again, it can be a vessel of joy. We can find a lot of satisfaction with accomplishing something. But if we keep doing that just for joy, we'll find the focus of the world is that is your joy, and it won't last. How can we have lasting joy? Just like the person who says they look for love in all the wrong places, I think sometimes we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. We need to get back. So let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 7. And let's look at the joy God's asking us to do uh, or, or to have. Um, I think he's imagining that, verse 7, that we would... See God's loving protection. Verse 11, the light is pleasant, and he describes the light as the sun. It's good for the eyes to see the sun. He's not asking, saying it's good to look into the sun. It's just good to see that God's at work, that God is lighting up the world, that God is still revolving the earth around the sun and giving us life and breath and all that we have. And it's good to see that. That's the way this passage kind of begins, of understanding that everything we have is really a... Res we should be responding to the one who's given it, and that's God. 
It's, as I started thinking about the light here, look at some passages that bring that out. Look at Psalm 27, verse 1. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Light is often used as, as our salvation. It's often used as what takes us out of the darkness. It's often used as life itself. The Lord is my light. He is my life. He's everything to me. Uh, Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah 60 verse 20. says, your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. That's just a symbolical way of saying you're no longer going to ever, ever, ever be in darkness. I hope you're beginning to think, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7, how pleasant is the light. How pleasant is an existence where God illumines your life, gives you light, where you're not in the dark, where you're not suffering. Uh, look at Micah chapter 7, verse 8. One of the minor prophets. I'll come back to him in a little bit. Uh, but Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Micah 7, verse 8 says, Do not rejoice over me, O enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is light for me. Separating the concept of physical light and giving us the concept with spiritual light. Even if I'm in darkness, I have light. Because God is the light for me. Um, and I, I remember uh, once taking some friends of mine uh, caving uh, up in the Chattanooga area. And there was a group of five or seven of us. And we'd been in the cave for about an hour. And this was not a really very large cave. It, so it's kind of musty. And we were there, and I remember one of the girls getting a panic attack, and, and you could just see her starting to shake, and she says, I got to get out of here. I can't breathe. I got to get out of here. I can't breathe. And there was nothing wrong with the air or anything. It's kind of musty, but, you know, that was it. And I said, well, okay, well, if you got to, you know, I could tell she's having this panic attack. I said, let's turn around. Let's go. So I directed the whole group, you know, for her benefit, let's, let's leave. And so we're getting to the cave, and, you know, it's pitch dark. We're using headlamps, but you could see the end of the tunnel. You know, you could see the light ahead. And as soon as she could see the way out on her own, she could see daylight, she started running. We ran behind her, make sure she was okay. She busts out of that cave, and she just started screaming, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. She came into a space that was fresh air, fresh, clean light. And I thought as I experienced that after her, I said, why couldn't we do that with every day? With all of our existence. Why can't we wake up out of our bed and say, thank you, Jesus. I have air to breathe. I see your light. I see your glory. I am okay because I am yours. And I think that's really what the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to see and embrace because God is pleasant, because his light is in us. We need to respond to that with thankfulness and gratefulness. Now, that's going to get us to joy. When you get the foundation that God is providing, he's protecting, he's securing, 
He's giving you all that you need. Then you can get to verse 8. Indeed, if a man should leave, live many years, let him rejoice. Why? Because God is pleasant and he's good. All that he does for us. Now, it's required obedience. It doesn't say, if you have air to breathe, you should rejoice. It says, if a man should live, if you're alive in any condition, if you're alive, let him rejoice. Many years, rejoice in them all. Not in some of them, not in the good ones. Rejoice in them all. It is the right response to your creator. It is the required obedience. The required choice. I want you to get a principle. And the principle is joy is a required daily choice based on a right response. Joy is a required daily choice based on a right response to God being our creator and redeemer. It is our right response. If a man lives, then you were created. You were given life by God. If you live, if you can see the sun, or even if you're blind, you should rejoice. Remember Psalm 100, verse 2. Let me give you a few Example Psalm 100, verse 2. I will give, uh, excuse me, Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Is that optional? No, see, these are commands. Come before him with joyful singing. Yeah. Some of you can't sing. You know, we all know that. We appreciate you singing quietly. But God says, God commands you, come before him with a joyful singing. He doesn't say excellent singing. You don't have to sing well. But you choose to be joyful in his presence. Come before him rejoicing. Is literally what's going on here. That's a command. Because he loves you. He has given you life. If you live. Then come before him. With joyful singing. Serve him. Ho-hum way? No. So serve him with gladness. That is what's required. Look at a, a requirement passage. Look at that's even stronger. Deuteronomy 28. Verses 45 through 47. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, 45. So all these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. Well, you got, got the point. I mean, that's, that's reasonable. You don't obey God. You should get the curses of God. But he, he explains it even further. Then shall become a sign. They shall become a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God. And then catch this. With joy and a glad heart, for the abundance of all things. Now when he repeated the statement. You should be cursed. Because you didn't obey. He adds a qualifier. You should be cursed. Because you didn't obey. Joyfully. With a glad heart. You didn't choose to obey. With joy. Parents are you teaching that? Have we all been trained in that? It's not good enough to just obey. But we must obey gladly. We must obey with a joyful heart. 
the joy, the rejoicing is commanded. It's not given to us as optional. Some people choose not to be happy, and that's okay. No, it's commanded of us to obey with a glad heart. You remember the old funny story that you know, somebody comes into work or somebody gets up and comes into the living room or whatever, and they're just miserable and they're irritable, and you can tell it, and you say, oh, I guess you woke up grumpy this morning. And that person says, no, I let her sleep. And yet, you know, the point is, obviously you didn't let her sleep. You're saying somebody else is more miserable than you, and they're going to be grumpy. No, you're the one that's grumpy, and you have chosen this day to irritate me and to annoy me and to be grumpy. And you think that's okay because of your possessions? You didn't get all you wanted? You haven't been able to accomplish what you wanted? You don't have the right people around you encouraging you? You've fallen into every pitfall and you've chosen to be miserable. Now, one of the commands I made my kids memorize as we were growing up, Philippians 2.14. So if you don't know this one, you need it. It's a small verse. You need to memorize it. You need to go over it and over it and over it. Because it d- distinguishes Christians. And we ought to see this between the world and Christian. Philippians 2 verse 14 says... Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We rememberize it. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. I forget which translation that is. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. But notice the next phrase. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God without reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you are to appear as lights in this world. You distinguish yourself as a Christian when you wake up and you choose joy because you've been commanded to come before God and to serve Him with gladness and joy. So you wake up and you come before God and you choose joy. It is a required daily choice. Joy is not just a feeling. Joy is a daily choice. So... You memorize Philippians 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. When someone in your family wakes up and they're grumbling and disputing, if, especially if you're the head of the household here, your mom or your dad, you say, wait, 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 we don't do that in this home God has given us. We don't grumble and dispute. We choose joy in this home. We, in this home, we come before God with joyful singing. We come before Him rejoicing. We are alive. If anyone lives, he is to rejoice in the goodness and grace of God. That's what we do here. You must lay down that rule, that law. This is God's requirement that we wake up to rejoice in what God is doing in us. He's given us life. If we live, we wake up to rejoice in Him. It's a daily choice. It's a requirement that God gives us. Grumpiness, disputing, grumbling is forbidden. We really ought to be able to walk out on the streets and be able to tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian by their attitude. Are they joyful? Or are they grumbling and disputing? Uh, it was a revelation to me in child training and parenting when I realized I was wrong for just spanking my kids because they disobeyed a rule. They disobeyed a law. I was wrong for, dis- for spanking them for disobeying a law and not spanking them for having a wrong attitude. You have to have both. 
You have to have the law of God, and you have to have the attitude that goes with the law of God. And we have to train ourselves in both, that both are a required choice. I'll give you a simple example for you. You probably all have memorized, or you've heard it so many times, you've got it memorized. Micah, I said I was going to get back to Micah, right? Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Let me get there just so I can stay focused on it. Micah 6, verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, there's law. You've got it? God has laid down a law. You have to walk a certain way. You have to be obedient. He has commanded us to do justice. That's a command. That's a particular path. You have to do what's fair, what's just. That's a command. That's an obedience. When you're stealing from your brother or sister, you broke the law. And you train them, thou shalt not steal. You have broken God's law. But we need to also train not only the law, but the attitude. Did you see the attitude in this command? To love kindness. Walk humbly with God. Those are attitudes. God says, I don't want you to just do justice, to do what's fair and right. I want you to do it with love. And I want you to do it with kindness. And I want you to do it subservient and submissive to the authorities over you. I want you to walk in such a way people see an attitude of humility and love and kindness. All of that's required just as well. And so when you wake up grumpy, say, no, 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 no. That is not acceptable. Joy is a required choice in the Christian household. We, if we are alive, it is because God is being gracious to us. We must choose to come before Him with joyful singing. We must choose to be glad in His presence. We must choose to walk humbly before Him. That's where Ecclesiastes is taking us. Enjoying life every day is a choice. If a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. Again, not partial, but all. Um, daily choice, many years of rejoicing. It's not limited, it's not one time, it's not seasonal. You know, I, I heard so many times that joy was kind of seasonal growing up. Christmas was the time for joy. Christmas was the time for children. And as soon as those children grow up and they have to start paying the bills, it won't be so fun anymore. You know, and it's like, wait, 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 wait. That's not what this text says. We're to rejoice in all of our days, not in a season of days or a time of life, but in all of our days, whether we're young or old, all of the days are supposed to be days of rejoicing. Uh, that's where God is taking us. You know, so many times we think it's just a certain time. I, I'm going to run out of time. Let me give you one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 14. Here's one that I've memorized to help me with the statement when people say, hey, hey David, how you doing? Well, if you've asked me that, many of you perhaps have heard this answer. It's 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4. And the answer is that I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Now, let me give you the longer version. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I probably should memorize this phrase as I was looking at it again. This phrase right here. I am filled with comfort. Because that would grab your attention. I am filled with comfort and I am overflowing 
with joy in all our afflictions. Meaning, I know you got pain, I got pain too. I'm overflowing with joy. I choose to be happy whether you got pain or I've got pain. In all our affliction, I'm still overflowing with joy. And in that previous statement, not only that, I have comfort in that. Quite a statement. And you could easily say that the Apostle Paul obviously did not have a very hard life. See, you go back to those pitfalls. He obviously had it all. He had people around him. He accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish. It's interesting that the same book of the Bible that gives us this phrase, that he's overflowing, he's comforted and overflowing with joy in all his affliction, is, is the book of the Bible that tells us about his afflictions. If you look over at chapter 11, uh, beginning, say, verse 21, uh, middle of verse 21, it says, In whatever respect, if anyone is bold, I speak in foolishness, I am just as bold myself. And what he's doing there, he's arguing. People say they have more experience than he does to preach and teach. He says, if anybody thinks they got more experience than me, he says, ha, you don't. And then he starts telling us his experiences. Verse 22, he says, are they Hebrew? I am. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I am more of a servant than anybody. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments. So he's been in prison, beaten times without numbers. Number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. That's being flogged. Five times he was whipped to the point of death. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods, so they put up the whip and just used hard rod. I was stoned three times. Stoning is supposed to kill you. He was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And then he says, I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. He basically makes the point, nobody in this room has been in more afflictions than Paul has. Nobody. None of us have been through anything close to that. And yet he is the man who says, I can over, I'm overflowing with joy. I'm comforted and overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. Wow. Then that's got to be a choice you make. Exactly. He chooses joy daily because he lives under the grace and mercy of God. Have we been trained with that obligation to choose joy all our days and to come before God? That's the first principle of joy. You want a joyous life? Choose joy. Choose joy. It's a daily requirement. God says, if you're alive, rejoice. You see the sun, right? You see the stars. You see the moon. You breathe air you eat or taste food, rejoice. That's me granting grace to you. First principle is joy is a daily required choice. It's based on a right response to our Creator. Second, the joy he's talking about takes into account dark days and dark deeds. So back in Ecclesiastes 11, it's not, don't be sitting there saying, well, My life is still worse. You don't know how dark it is. How dark my days. You don't know how terrible my deeds. Well, he, 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 he takes that into account. Uh, go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 8. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness. So I'm not asking you to forget that you've You've got bad stuff in your life. Remember the bad stuff. Remember the days of darkness. They will be many. 
You're not just going to have a few bad days. You're going to have a lot of bad days. Everything that is to come will be futile. You're going to have a lot of vain, foolish days. He follows it right up. Verse 9, rejoice. Rejoice. Even though you've got many dark days, he is not asking us to escape real life, to have joy. Enjoy in the midst of our days. So when you're young, yeah, it's easy to be joyful. It says, depending on your circumstance. But the circumstances he's talking about, are you diseased? Rejoice. Or he gets on down in chapter 12, is your body wearing out? You're decaying? Rejoice. You've got trouble? Rejoice. Re- remember the dark days. And still, I want you to rejoice. Let me make it plain to you. Look at Matthew 5, and then we'll look at James 1. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. You, you got some persecuted, persecution in your days for the sake of righteousness. There's this kingdom of heaven that knows how it starts. Happy. Happy are those who are persecuted. You think, wait, wait, wait. Happy? Uh, verse 11. Happy. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Really? Falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So joy comes in the midst of persecution. Joy comes in the midst of insult. Joy comes in the midst of bad days. Now, look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I believe it's verse 2, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So you're going through trials? You say, well, you don't know how dark my days are. You don't know how terrible my trials. You don't know how much persecution I'm living with. And then God says, yeah, but I want you to consider it joy. I want you to choose joy. It's a daily obligation. If you want a joyous life, you must choose to be joyful even in your trials, your persecutions. In Remember the dark days, yes, but choose joy. There needs to be a distinction between feeling good and experiencing joy. You don't have to feel good to be joyful. That's the point. You may have a lot of dark days. But you don't have to feel good to choose joy, to be happy in Christ, to be blessed because of Christ. The Apostle Paul, back in 2 Corinthians, uh, that was overflowing with joy in all of his afflictions, and his afflictions were way without number compared to ours. Let me share another passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 16 through 18. Therefore do not lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If you're asking Paul to explain a little bit more, how do you do this? How do you choose joy when you obviously are feeling so badly? Your outer man is being whipped with lashes 39 times, and you telling me you choose joy? How do you do that? You're being ripped apart. And here's the answer. He says, I focus on what you can't see. My outer body is definitely decaying. I am wasting away. I feel miserable at times. But I see Jesus. 
And I see He has promised me a glorified body, an eternal body, a body without any pain where I always feel good. I see that God's doing something in this life that He's given me. Though the outer man is decaying, He's using that to produce an inner man. And He's going to bring that inner man into glory and clothe it with a glorified body. There's my joy. I choose to be happy in Jesus. What He is doing in me. Yes, there's dark days. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's trials and tribulation. But it doesn't rob my joy. Because my joy is not in the possessions that I'm losing. My joy is not in the body that I'm losing. My joy is not in the accomplishments that I'm losing. My joy is not in the people I'm losing. My joy is in Jesus. And I don't lose Him. I gain Him more and more of Him. is being transformed into who I am. And I'm going forward into His glory. So there's dark days and there's dark deeds. You can think for yourself just so some of those are. I just, I just see this wonderful blend of obedience and happiness in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. That He gets. It's not just keeping law, but it's keeping law with a glad heart with the joy that only Christ can give. You know, so many people are confused with law and grace. And I don't have time to unpack that, but it's, it's like unpacking justification and sanctification. And so many people you know, say, David, it seems like at times you preach too much law. And I said, well, I'm not preaching law to earn salvation. Law condemns us, but it never justifies us. And law can never do what only grace can supply. There, there has to be the blend. We desperately need grace, but we don't throw out law. God has told us what to do. Love justice. Walk humbly. There's laws involved. But you can't expect the law to produce the grace. Only Jesus can enable you. That's the grace. I'm not asking. I, see, I didn't come in here and say 10 steps to joy. I'm requiring of you, because the Bible does, I'm requiring of you to choose joy. But I'm not giving you 10 steps to get there. That would be saying the law will provide it. The law will not provide it. The law requires it. The only thing that can provide it is grace. You must have Jesus in your life or you are not able to choose joy. You are not able to obey. If I keep giving you the law, hopefully you say, I desperately need Jesus because I can't do it exactly you need Jesus you need his grace you need his life you need to wake up in the morning and say Jesus I need you and he says if you're alive if you're alive then praise me rejoice Think of me. Choose to be glad. Choose to be humble. Choose to be my servant. Say, yes, Jesus, give me such a heart. Take away my sin. Make me yours. If you're waking up grumpy, chances are you don't have Jesus. You've got law. And you're under it. And it's making you miserable. And you need law and grace. You need Jesus. Lord, give me joy. 
Give me Jesus. Give me his goodness and his gladness. Give me his mercy that I can respond to him as he would have me to respond, consistent with his word, consistent with his law, his requirements. Let me respond with grace. I, I wish I could somehow get each of you to open your eyes in the morning or whenever you wake up. Some of you may wake up at night. You wake up and you have this image that you are before God. And say, God, what is required of me today? And God says, if you're alive, if you can still breathe, thank me for the air you breathe. See the pleasantness of the sun. Enjoy the freshness of the air. See the beauty of the trees and the water. See the glories of my expanse. See the majestic body I've created for you and all you can do with it. Enjoy, my friends. Enjoy, my friends. If you're alive, enjoy and rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, let everyone who is irritable come. Let everyone who is annoying come. Let everyone who is grumpy come. And receive Jesus our joy, and our life. Father, may the world begin to see little by little that we have been changed. There's a smile. There's a new heart within us that is happy in Jesus. Father, forgive us for the way we have treated you, living as though you are not a good Savior. As though you are not a good sovereign. Forgive us. Have mercy upon us. Let us come with your pardon and your grace to live life as you would command. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.